Among anthropologists, there's a classic story about a Western missionary meeting an indigenous inhabitant of an island uh, quite a bit off the east coast of Australia. It was a bright, sunny day, and the missionary happened upon a man just relaxing on the beach. So he walked up to him and said, look at you. You're just wasting your life lying around like that. It's a good way to, you know, meet people, you know, influence friends, and uh, it's what strangers like to hear. And the man looked up, sat up a little bit, and said, why? What do you think I should be doing? And the missionary said, well, I don't know, looking around, there are plenty of coconut trees. Uh, they're all around here. Why not dry some of those coconut kernels and extract the oil and sell them? And the man said, well, why would I want to do that? Missionary said, well, you could make lots of money, and with that money you make, you could get a drying machine, you could dry the kernels faster and make even more money. The man said, okay, and why would I want to do that? The missionary said, well, you'd be rich. You could buy land and plant more trees, expand operations. At that point, you wouldn't even have to do the physical labor anymore. You could hire a bunch of other people to do it for you. Okay, and why would I want to do that? The missionary said, well, eventually, with all that coconut oil and land and machines and employees and all that money, you could retire a very rich man. Then you wouldn't have to do anything. You could just lie around on the beach all day. (laughs) This time, the man didn't bother to reply. He just lay back on the sand and enjoyed that glorious sunny day, and the missionary continued on his way. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should spend all day, every day, you know, 365 days out of the year lying on the beach. Uh, But this parable does challenge us to question what is work for? And why do we spend our days in the various ways that we do? As the writer Annie Dillard said, because the ways we spend our days, that is the way we spend our lives. Do you actually enjoy manufacturing coconut oil, whatever manufacturing coconut oil is for you, right? Uh, Or are you only working for the weekends for your chance to lay on the beach, whatever laying on the beach is for you? Insert that there. Now, historically, and Nicole spoke about this earlier with her story to the children, it wasn't always the case that people even had a chance to work for the weekends. Uh, On farms and later in factories, many people found themselves spending sometimes almost all of their waking hours laboring, Uh, sometimes up to 16 hours a day. That's still the case in some parts of the world, of course. But in the early 19th century and continuing really for over a 100 years, working hours in America gradually and pretty steadily were decreasing, culminating in the early 20th century with the achievement of the new legal standard of 40 hours a week as full-time employment. That's something we really take for granted, many of us do today. That was very much not always the case. This achievement resulted in one of the labor movement's most famous slogans, from the people who brought you the weekend. 
But the story doesn't end there, at least it doesn't have to. Economists used to extrapolate based on that century-long steady decrease of what was considered full-time labor in the U.S. based on the successes of the labor movement, the rise in automation. They speculated routinely that citizens of technologically advanced nations would by the end of the 20th century, so like you know, almost 20 years ago, people would work no more than 15 hours a week. That was what you know, John Maynard Keyes, people like that were r- routinely predicting. Uh, in retrospect, the opposite has happened for many of us. Technology is connected to us to work almost constantly. But this shift is not to say that automation hasn't made a difference. Over the course of the 20th century, the number of workers employed as domestic servants in industry and in the farm sector, that has collapsed dramatically because of automation. At the same time, professional, managerial, clerical, sales, and service workers, that has tripled in the 20th century, growing from one quarter to three quarters of total employment. Rather than allowing a massive reduction of working hours to free the world's population, or even just this nation's population, to pursue their own projects and pleasures, visions and ideas, we've seen this ballooning out of not even so much the service sector as the administrative sector. And I invite you to consider if this widespread creation of new types of administrative jobs, is it at least in some ways related to our opening story of that puritanical missionary who felt compelled to try to persuade a stranger lying on the beach that he should instead become a corporate titan and then one day hopefully enjoy that beach that he was already enjoying in retirement? Assuming, of course, he didn't die in the meantime from a heart attack and stress from running and you know, being an entrepreneur and starting a coconut business. Uh, some of you may know H.L. Mencken's famous definition of Puritanism, the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. <laughs> and that's part of the point of our opening story, that you don't have to delay happiness until some future date. And the reason I chose this topic for today is that tomorrow is Labor Day. Uh, It's a federal holiday that is a whole lot more than a three-day weekend, though that's um, in some ways regrettably become the way some people think of it, you know, marking the end of vacation season. Labor Day was created to celebrate the labor movement's role in securing labor rights. Some of what I often try to do on Labor Day is to ask myself the question, you know, what can the labor movement, what would it want to teach us today from the successes of the past? I'm also aware that today, as Bruce mentioned, is my first day back uh, to officially laboring after a a three-month sabbatical. I did some labor here and there. It's a separate conversation uh, about the air conditioning, among other things. Uh, But here's the other thing. Other than two trips, my life was not wildly different from sabbatical. I had less meetings. That was welcome. Uh, But it was more that the time away allowed me to do many of the things I would normally do, you know, read, spend time with people, exercise, without those activities having to be so tightly linked to reading to produce a sermon or, you know, meeting with people to the end of growing this congregation or keeping it going. You know, I'm grateful in general that there's a high alignment between what I enjoy doing and what I get paid to do. I rarely feel like I'm working for the weekend. Now, I do often feel like I'm working on the weekend. That's a vocational hazard. Uh, But I'm actually having a good time most of the time. I know, however, that is not the case for everyone. Many workers experience what Marx called 
alienated labor. They don't feel like I, they don't love their job. They feel alienated from what they do, and they're only doing it for the money. Uh, and uh, the experience of alienated labor makes those statistics concerning that we heard earlier about the job shift that happened over the course of the 20th century. I invite you to think about them again, that we had this huge collapse in jobs of domestic servants, of in industry and in the farm sector, and this huge increase from one quarter of the jobs to three quarters of the jobs in these new kind of service and especially administrative jobs. I think about, like my wife's an English professor, I think about how the university has been transformed with all this influx of administrative jobs, and are they always really needed? They're not. Separate conversation. Um, Well, I'm not saying that all those new types of jobs are all unnecessary. I'm inviting us to consider if we as a collective people put too much emphasis on forcing people to work 40 hours or more to have anything like um, a living wage, you know, and, and how that affects us. For people who don't love their job, it's worth considering if we, would be, if we wouldn't be better off as a society if we worked toward that too often forgotten vision of the labor movement, of moving from that achievement, which was a real achievement of a 40-hour work week to a 35-hour work week, to a 30, to a 25, even what the economists were saying, a 15- or 20-hour work week, uh, freeing people to pursue their own projects, pleasures, visions, and ideas. This is not to say that anyone would be restricted to part-time work. I routinely work more than 40 hours a week, but I love my job, and that's a huge critical difference. To say a little more about how um, people feel about their jobs, it turns out that since the 1970s, surveys have regularly revealed that 74 to 80 percent of workers say that if they won the lottery or some kind of similar fortune, they would actually want to keep working, at least in some form, maybe less, but they'd want to keep working. Indeed, many people who actually won multi-million dollar lotteries have either not quit their job or expressed regret that they quit their job. You know, psychologists tell us that we, we need meaning in our lives. We need to feel like we have purpose. And work helps structure our lives and give us meaning. But notice that only 74 to 80% of workers say they would continue working. And part of the reason, there's a certain percentage of the population that doesn't feel like their work is worthwhile. On that point, one of the most interesting contemporary commentators on our working lives is the anthropology professor and activist David Graeber. He teaches at the London School of Economics. Because he got in trouble at Yale, he was just about to get tenure, but was doing a little too much labor activism and didn't get tenure. Fortunately, he's really brilliant and got hired by the London School of Economics. Not a bad gig. Uh, First became aware of him through his doorstop of a book, Debt, the First 5,000 Years. It's actually surprisingly interesting, but not the main thing I want to talk about today. Uh, he's, Graeber is also known for helping plan the Occupy Wall Street protests. He was part of that original kind of 20-so people who were meeting, and he's actually the one that coined the slogan, we are the 99%. Uh, but more recently, he made headlines with a brief article he published online, published, uh, called, titled, On the Phenomenon of <clears throat> Bullshit Jobs. For Dr. Graeber, some jobs may be tedious or crappy, shall we say, but he distinguishes those from actually BS jobs that he feels like really don't need to exist and are arguably not a great use of 40 hours a week of people's time. And maybe he's on to something. The essay went viral almost immediately. Within weeks, it had been translated into at least a dozen languages. The original page received more than a million hits. 
Inspired by the piece, an anonymous person placed several hundred posters with four quotes uh, in, on top of ads in London Underground cars. I'll share just those four quotes with you. The first was, huge swaths of people spend their days performing tasks they secretly believe do not need to be performed. Think about the movie Office Space, you know, TPS reports, right? Um, Second one was, it's as if someone were out there making up pointless jobs for the sake of keeping us all working. The third, the moral spiritual damage that comes from this situation is profound. It is a scar across our collective soul, yet virtually no one talks about it. The fourth and final one was, how can one even begin to speak of dignity and labor when one secretly feels that one's job shouldn't exist? yet need to keep doing it because you still got to pay the bills, right? Along those lines, the comedian Bill Hicks tells the story of a supervisor castigating an employee for not working. The worker says, truthfully, there's actually nothing really worth doing right now, to which the supervisor says, well, you're supposed to at least pretend like you're working, (laughs) to which the worker said, I've got a better idea. Why don't you pretend I'm working? You get paid more than I do. I should hasten to add, again, by no means am I trying to make anyone feel guilty about what you do or don't do at work. If you love what you do for work, I have no interest in convincing you otherwise. My point is much deeper, again, related to that opening parable in which this puritanical missionary is um, implying that you should only give yourself permission to rest and relax and do what you enjoy if you've worked enough to earn it. And even with the rise of automation, of robots, of artificial intelligence, you've heard me say it's not the immigrants that are coming for your jobs, right? It's the robots. Uh, There may always be some level of work that has to be done, even with all of that. But if you're only doing 15 to 20 hours of alienated labor, you'd be much more likely to return home, you know, not exhausted and too tired to do anything, but like stress eat and watch binge watch Netflix and go to bed to get up and do it all over again, but actually return home even having done some alienated labor with enough energy to um, do ventures that you enjoy, whatever that is for you. Working for a society, working toward a society in which we only have 35 or 30 hours or even 15 to 20 hours of alienated labor as full-time employment that you can actually live well on may seem like an unrealistic goal. You know, there's that saying, I'm going to say more about this in a sermon next month. Uh, There's that saying that it's, and I think this is really true in a time of climate change, that it's easier for many of us to imagine the end of the world than any sort of ending of capitalism. This is a real failure of imagination. Uh, There's more to say about that. Uh, But um, it may seem like an unrealistic goal, but Labor Day is a reminder that at one time, the 40-hour work week was considered an unrealistic goal. So if you're grateful for the weekend, think a labor organizer. If you want to dream of how work could be better for the future, you know, meet an organizer, labor organizer, become a labor organizer. As some of you have heard me say before, again, you know, change is coming. But, you know, automation is coming. Our invitation is to collectively, collectively create a society in which there is both more dignity in labor and more free time for individuals to do whatever they feel called to do. For now, I'll move toward my conclusion with the final paragraph of Dr. Graber's book on BS jobs. You can certainly read it yourself if you'd like. He says, most of us like to talk about freedom in the abstract, uh, even claim that it's the most important thing. 
you know, freedoms, the most important thing to fight for, to die for. But he says we don't necessarily always think a lot about what being free or practicing freedom might actually mean. The main point of this book is to start us thinking about and arguing about what a genuinely free society might actually look like.